Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Donald Wine, and I'm with the American Outlaws. And I just want to welcome everyone to this continuing series of interviews we are conducting with top officials from the U.S. Soccer Sound Federation. Uh, I want to thank all of you for joining us today, and we are pleased to conduct these interviews as part of She Believes Me. Uh, we hope that everybody out there is doing well. I hope you guys are safe and healthy during this pandemic. And I know it's been a lot for all of us, but we hope that you continue to do your part uh, to stay at home, maintain social distancing, and excellent hygiene, as the health and safety of all of you is our top primary concern. And I know U.S. soccer feels the same way. For today's interview, we'd like to welcome two people who are going to answer questions submitted by our members. First, I'd like to welcome the general manager of the U.S. Women's National Team. She's a World Cup champion. She is a two-time gold medalist. And like me, she's an alum of Detroit Country Day School. Um, Kate Margraff, welcome. And thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Oh, Donald, way to bring up our high school affiliation. Go Yellow Jackets. I love it. I love it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. And also joining us today is the current women's national team head coach. He just recently took over last October. Already he's coached the team to an undefeated record and wins in the CONCACAF Olympic Women's Championship and the 2020 She Believes Cup. We have Vlatko Indonovsky. Coach, we appreciate you joining us as well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we're glad to have you. Uh, we only have Kate for the first part of this, so for those of you out there, we're going to start with Kate and give her some questions so that she can hop off uh, to tend to her other obligations. So, Coach, uh, I'm going to ask you to sit tight, and Kate, we're going to get started with you, if that's okay. Yeah, Coach, you're on the bench. There you go. <laughs> Just for, not for long. Okay. So, <laughs> Kate, uh, U.S. Soccer is celebrating She Believes Week, and we just wanted to start with that overall theme as the GM, you're a former player, you're a mom, and you're a role model for young women everywhere who are working to achieve their dreams. What advice can you give them, uh, whether it pertains to sports or their career, what advice can you give them on how to move forward with those dreams? You know, the number one piece of advice I always give is don't wait until you're ready. Be brave and do it when the opportunity presents itself. And you might fall flat on your face, but then that's the only way that you can measure yourself to see where you need to improve. So it doesn't take confidence to be successful. It takes bravery in the face of repeated failures. And I, it took me uh, my third attempt to make the women's national team, uh, failing glorlessly the first two times. So uh, that is always the biggest thing is do it before you're ready. You'll figure it out when you get there. And then if you don't figure it out, you need to learn quickly and develop new strategies in order to be successful. You just recently oversaw your first She Believes Cup as the general manager. Take us back. What was that experience like for you? And what does it mean to have a tournament like She Believes Cup where young women get to see their heroes compete against some of the best teams in the world? Well, you just met, said it right there, that last part. The meaningful competition provides a wonderful game on the field. Sure, the scoreline may not be a blowout. But what it does is it not only provides players exposure to some of the best talent in the world against different systems, which is purposeful. We try to schedule teams that play different differently so we can test our players. But more importantly, we get to show 
the fan base, how much soccer has grown in this country, especially from when I played in 99 uh, in the World Cup. I think the, the distance between our back line and our front line was probably 70 yards. That would never happen in today's game. So it's an opportunity for fans to watch the best athletes in the world playing against some of the best soccer players that are also fantastic athletes in a big setting. And that momentum builds, right? You go once, you get hooked, right? And that's the beautiful thing about the outlaws, right? You guys provide the knowledge that mobilize the fans. And I can tell you when I hear the chants and when I see you guys jumping and in one case in Orlando, they sang the national anthem. I have 200 caps for the national team. Very rarely do I get chills listening to the national anthem, even though I've heard it so many times. I'm always proud. I always sing it. I had chills. In fact, I was sitting next to Abby Wambach and Tiffany roberts Hadak, and we all were like, that was amazing. Well, we're glad you like our singing. Uh, we were thinking about putting on an album, but uh, we'll wait <laughs> on that. We're not really professional yet. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. But uh, speaking of it. momentum, yeah, speaking of momentum, we know that the April friendlies were obviously canceled due to the coronavirus pandemic, and the June window was also canceled. The Olympics have been postponed. Those are now set for next summer. So now what is your strategy for scheduling matches for the women's national team once the hiatus is over and matches can safely be played? Well, we're very intentional about how our approach is. And we have gone through multiple scenario plannings. Like if this window is canceled, what do we need to ensure that we see or play against or expose our players to prior to the Olympics? And that is how we approach everything. So we're always weighing many things, teams that play bunkers, teams that use the width, and we do data analysis to figure out areas of strengths of teams. And then we try to balance that uh, in terms of our scheduling and our planning. So we are being very intentional with our time. You know, the productivity propaganda that happens when we were in the office and we had to be face-to-face -face all that time, that can't happen anymore. And so one way to look at this in the silver lining is that we now have an opportunity to really plan and make sure because there will be no easy games that we wanna schedule between now and the Olympics. We wanna make sure that we're testing ourselves against the best. I wanna shift quickly to a big topic that's obviously on the minds of all uh, women's national team fans, and that's the legal dispute between the players and the federation. We know that there is a legal ruling in that lawsuit, and with that ruling, fans are now hoping that the two sides can come together and work out a solution that will get everybody on the same page. Do you expect a quick resolution to that lawsuit, and what role, if any, will you play in those talks? Well, I can just tell you what the phrase was after that ruling came out on that Friday night was uh, U.S. Soccer issued a, a statement saying, we hope to sit down with the players to figure out a path forward. And I think a path forward is what everybody wants. It's just a matter of what happens, but I know the Federation is very keen to do so because it's important to try to get the conversation, address issues, but also get the conversation back to, you know, talking about soccer. You know, most of our days, especially in my role, I want I, I look forward to that day, but it's important to hear everybody. It's important to uh, acknowledge everything that's going on. Um, I'm not involved in that and because it would put my role in a unique position, but I understand every side of it. And obviously we were taking both sides here and looking at one side, but let's look at the other. How is we as fans, how can we support that fight for equal pay and continue to, you know, lead the world in how we compensate our soccer players? 
Well, I think the biggest thing in general about women's sports is figuring out a way to monetize participation and monetize sponsorship and viewership, I think. And then you have to first get the fans and then you have to switch the pyramid of the investment model. So that sponsors um, and not just women's soccer, but in every sport you see it, right? It's it, it's market realities. Um, they're pay discrepancies because they're based off of revenue. So how can we figure out a way in which we can monetize the, the support and the groundswell that everyone has? Uh, and that's that's really the main goal in all of this. But the keep it's the conversation, and the conversations need to keep happening. I want to shift gears a little bit and move into the realm of youth development. And how does scouting younger talent change with the development academy going away? And how difficult is that going to be in the short term, especially in this pandemic when many of the youth national teams are on hiatus and you can't travel to see players live? You know what I love about the American Outlaws is they're by far the most engaged fans and knowledge base of the programming offered. Uh, the questions that uh, I'm facing now are very, very poignant. And I think with the DA shuttering, what that has done is it's created an opportunity to reset the table to figure out how to supply the pipeline of talent for the next generation of soccer players. So once the DA shuttered, it was how can we make sure that we are providing the best players or the players with the highest potential, which is really tough to ascertain at the younger age groups, but how can we provide them the opportunity and scout them in a way that we they're on our radar and then we bring them into camp and provide them that educational opportunity. So it's cause, it has caused us to redesign how we are looking at talent and then how the mechanism of going out and, and scouting that. And furthermore, in that in that line, what is your plan on the women's side to improve the success of the women's national team, the youth team, and to continue that pipeline of development and acclimation of younger talent into the program as we go forward? Well, I think it's, it's twofold, right? Is it based on performance, the result, or is it based on the field? Is it based on players that are being put in a difficult situation in which they have to solve problems at a young age? And are we giving them the tools to then solve it so then that can be scaffolded up uh, to bigger differences in style plays and bigger decisions that they're gonna have to make in real time. In real time. The hardest challenge that Vladko will have is to identify the players that will be able to cope with the pressure and play the style and execute the game plan against some of the best in the world. And how can we do that at the younger age group? One way to do that is to make sure we're aligned in our approach and our philosophy and our style of play. So again, the silver lining of COVID is we were going to do this all of May, but obviously everyone would have had their attention in different places. Um, but what we've been doing since COVID hit is having a weekly meeting with every single person on the women's side, including our data analysts and our video analysts, and we're coming up with positional profiles or just refining them or enhancing to where we think the trends of the game are going and how we will be best equipped to be the front runners of that because we don't want to just win the world cup we want to create a dynasty and with the incredible talent that we currently have and jill ellis did a fantastic job of making the, this last world cup team the most experienced team regardless of age that the us has ever fielded i haven't of the three world cup teams i was on on the 12 years on the team all the way through up until the last iteration of a world cup roster that was the first time i've seen the young talent extremely experienced walking into that form. So when you're playing against France in the loudest stadium that probably any of them have ever been in, and obviously pro-French, pro-France, not USA, 
they were equipped to handle that because of either their youth team experiences or because Jill had vetted them through the early stages um, of the cycle. Yeah, that's a great point. And and as we as we continue, you know, the DA is now gone, and there's still this link between the Federation and the NWSL. How do you see the two entities working together to spur youth development and maintain the strength of the player pool? That's a great question, and one that I hope that we can build a long-term strategy. But right now, it's making sure that the NWSL feels supported financially, but also with our players in order to build a stable league and to make it the best league in the world and one in which it attracts the best talent. Jennifer Marajan, for a long time, has been the world's best number 10. Um, and now she is coming to Utah. Uh, obviously, this is before COVID. And the fact that they are able to secure a player of that magnitude, along with many others, right? Kim Little's been in the league, who's a fantastic number 10, arguably one of the best in the world. Sam Kerr was in the league. Allowing our players that financial flexibility to play in a league and support domestically is allowing it to grow. And also it builds the domestic fan base, but also the domestic player pool. And the best thing about the NWSL is the parity. So I really applaud the owners for their approach into this franchise model, the single franchise model, or the single entity model, um, because what it allows is that now everyone is aligned and there isn't huge disparity between top and bottom. On the note of the youth national team, many of them are currently without a coach. I know we've seen some recent hires like Laura Harvey for the U20s. Is there a timeline? And I know it's probably shifted in the, in the midst of the pandemic. <laughs> Is there a timeline from what you'd like to make those hires necessary to round out those coaching staff? Yeah, whenever we can. I think when I took the job, it was in August. Um, I had to hire a head coach first and then his staff. Uh, to support him in his in his efforts. And then my 20s coach left and my 23 coach left. So even though the number of coaches on the women's side hasn't changed, the faces have. So I'm happy that I was able to execute that and get the talent that I was able to get with Matt Potter uh, and Laura Harvey at the 23s and under 20 ages, respectively, as well as Tracy Kevins, who stayed on and we were able to re-sign a contract. I think she's a fantastic coach for our 17s. We were in the step of hiring our 16s coach when COVID hit. And due to COVID, that was not gonna be able to move forward. So as soon as we're able to get programming off the ground again, and we're in a position in which we can hire, we have already identified people that we find interesting and would love to have deeper conversations to start to fill out the rest of our coaching staff. And the last note on the, on the player pool, you know, diversity is obviously a big issue. It's always one that is, you know, one of the more popular issues of debate uh, amongst our members. What is the plan to continue to highlight our diverse player pool and to have that diversity represented on the women's national team? Well, I think you're already seeing that to a certain degree, right? It, and it is about the best player. It's not, um, that is the only metric to get on the national team is who has the highest potential and who has, who is currently playing at the highest level that, that earns them a spot on the roster. And if you look at all our age groups, we are looking at ways to expand our net and identifying talent and creating the programming and educational platforms to give everyone an equal opportunity because that's what it's most about. Um, ideally, one day it would be great if the pay to play went away. But as you know, it's it's 
pretty complex system and one very difficult to untangle. So what can we do to help support that? And those are areas that we're looking into and areas that we're continually exploring because diversity allows um, diversity of thought, diversity of everything, and it makes everyone more well-rounded and also exposed to different things, which makes you more prepared in the moment when things are getting thrown at you, whether you're on the field or off field to make the right choice on a more consistent basis. Uh, a few years ago, there was a, a you know, a few players that went to play over in Europe. Uh, a lot of them played for a year or two and then came back. But recently, from leagues in Europe, there's been a big financial push to get the best players in the world. That would obviously include our players. Do you prefer our national team players remain in NWSL, or do you see an opportunity for stars and even budding talent to play overseas and still be in the mix for the national team? Well, I think the NWSL is one of the best leagues in the world, if not the best, because the parity. I think what you saw from the World Cup is the United States was able to leverage what was being taught week in and week out in the NWSL, which was you have to grind out wins sometimes. It's not pretty. And what, what happens when nothing's working? Can you figure out a solution? And can you be comfortable enough to still stick to the game plan, even though the game plan hasn't worked yet? And that's what you saw the benefits of NWSL. That is the reason why players are coming here. I understand the draw of playing over in Europe. And you know, for some players, that might be the next step in their development, right? To be exposed to something else, to be exposed to the WSL, to be exposed to uh, League One, right? Um, but I think it's just gonna be player dependent. But right now, I think our players are getting the greatest development, especially last year by staying in the NWSL. And one final question before we close out with you and, and bring on coach. Can you talk about the fan culture for the women's national team and how you've seen it grow from when you started playing back in the 90s? The fan culture, uh, I mean, it, it's diehards and it's fantastic in the chanting all game long and the support that the women have. But what I love now is that the support's for all the players. Um, and perhaps when I played, right, it was, definitely players of a certain profile were the ones that everyone knew about. But now people know one through 23. Part of that social media, the players control their own brands, they're out there. But Tiff Milbritt for a good two years was the best forward in the world, but no one knew about her. That would never happen now. And that's what I love is that everyone can identify with some player on the team or celebrate that player's success or that player's skill. And it's gonna be different for everyone, but now there's a platform provided also by the knowledge that you guys continually provide as a vehicle of content, as well as operationalizing transportation or what have you to get to the games or just getting that crowd support. Um, it, makes, it makes it so that everyone can be a fan, but also it just opens, it opens up the door to more approachable access to the team. Yeah, uh, definitely. We appreciate it. And and I think that's going to do it. I think that's one of the questions I have for you. So Kate Margraff, general manager of the U.S. Women's National Team and fellow Yellow Jacket, thank you very much for joining me today. <laughs> I, I We truly appreciate it. I know you have to head off uh, to another meeting, but we're glad you can make the time for our members tonight. Oh, I enjoyed it. Thanks for speaking with me, Donald, and uh, take care. And thank you for all that you do. And thank, and thank you to all the American Outlaws now on this call for everything you do in supporting us on and off the field. Absolutely. We appreciate it. We'll be back in the stands when we're allowed. Uh, very, very soon. I hope so. I expect it. We need it. <laughs> and as Kate, okay, Kate signs off, I'd like to bring in Coach Andonofsky back into the conversation. Coach, are you still with us? Yes, I am. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Yeah, thank you for your patience. Um, 
I want to begin with you by going back in time to March 11th. You, you were in the middle of a unique situation. The, during the final match of the She Believes Cup, the coronavirus pandemic forces the suspension of the NBA season, and it triggered a domino effect, which led to the suspension of almost every sporting event around the world. What was it like for you and the team in that immediate aftermath, and what were the steps that you kind of took to keep the team organized in those first few days? So... First, it was it was challenging. Uh, it was not easy because we we had we didn't know what hit us. We didn't know how long is this uh, is this gonna be like? Uh, is this gonna be our way of life for the next uh, for for next month, two, three, four, or is just or is this just something something short term? And then we're in April we're back on the field playing against uh, Australia and uh, Brazil at that time. But uh, once we realized that this is it, this is how it's gonna be. The first thing that we thought of is like we have to be creative to to maintain the growth of the player, to maintain the the to maintain the, their form, shape, uh, physical, mental, tactical, and uh, make sure that, that we make the most out of it, uh, getting out uh, coming out of uh, this pandemic. So uh, we formed several committees, several groups, task groups to uh, implement uh, different things. And uh, I think that so far we've been we've been on track, uh, keeping every everybody engaged as much as possible, and uh, we use every resource that we can in uh, being as creative as we can get from the high performance coach, uh, implementing physical training. The assistant coaches are on top of their uh, on top of the players' technical training with uh, certain videos uh, and uh, certain um, demonstrations in sessions. Myself, uh, I do all the tactical training uh, in uh, in uh, as a team in a team environment. Obviously, uh, through through um, digital meetings, uh, virtual meetings, and then uh, small groups, individuals, subgroups. We do positional tactical sessions, and then uh, Kate also organizes uh, the the psychological meetings or uh, sports psychology meetings, which we had uh, uh, Adam Adam Grant as one of the uh, one of the persons that uh, Spear has that, and uh, we just had uh, two days ago, we had this incredible speaker, Admiral McRaven, who uh, delivered an amazing message message to to the players and uh, and the staff. So, U.S. Soccer is celebrating She Believes Week. Uh, you just completed your first tournament uh, as coach of the team. What was that experience like for you as a coach, and what does that tournament in this week mean to you? Yeah, so uh, the She Believes tournament uh, was a great experience for me, and uh, I was so, so happy to be part of it, uh, as well as the, the Olympic qualifiers. But uh, She Believes, uh, we had a chance to, uh, we had a chance to face uh, against some of the best teams uh, in the world uh, with Japan, uh, Spain, and England. And another good thing is uh, about that is, it's not that we just face three of the best teams in the world. We also face the uh, three uh, different styles of, of soccer. And Kate elaborated on, uh, elaborated on that a little bit more in detail, how we choose our opponents and what we're trying to gain. And, uh, uh, that was uh, that was incredible experience, uh, and uh, at the end of it, when you when you come out with three wins in three games, it just makes it uh, more enjoyable. Absolutely, uh, you kind of walk into an unprecedented situation when you became coach. You took over a team that's the two-time defending World Cup champions. You're a few months into the job, and, and so we've talked a little bit about your transition. 
what has been the hardest part of the transition for you? You know, uh, I mean, getting uh, getting to coach this team, it's a great challenge. Uh, it's a big challenge, but it's a challenge that uh, everyone is aware of. Myself coming into this job, I knew it's going to be the, it's going to be a challenge because uh, uh, it's a team that, that that wins constantly. They're successful. They won two World Cups, the best team in the world. But it's the challenge that I have personally em embraced, and I'm excited about it. Uh, I'm I'm just thrilled about uh, the ability to work with the best players, because at some uh, to some degree they make the job a little bit uh, easier because they're they're so good in terms of uh, in terms of uh, what they do, their competitive nature and uh, pushing uh, to be the best version of themselves individually, but also as a team is. Uh, is just uh, enjoyable. Uh, it, it makes makes my job enjoyable and being uh, being part of it. Now, getting them to the next level is not easy because the room for success, for the room for improvement is small. If we were uh, number thirty on the on the rankings, then we we're, we're gonna have a, a huge room for for improvement. But now, we're looking in those little things, little details uh, to improve on and uh, and uh, get better. You mentioned the players and, and just that challenge of, of taking them on. Part of bringing, becoming the coach is you get to implement your style and, and your sort of uh, philosophy, but also you kind of look at the past to see what worked and what didn't. Was there anything that you saw during the previous few years that you felt was important to continue as you began, whether it be a playing style or even just which players work better together on the field? Right. Uh... There, there's so many good things about about this team and things that worked in the past. And uh, you know, w we cannot forget that this team is a two-time world back-to-back uh, -back World Cup champion, right? So as much as we want to say if it's not broken, uh, don't fix it. We we also need to know that uh, what worked for us in the past is not necessarily going to work in the future. So so that's why uh, we look at different things that uh, that we're absolutely or parts of the game that were absolutely the best in the world and we want to make sure that we maintain that and stay the best but there are also things that we want to we want to improve on and when we say improve it's not just or change things just to change because uh, because I want to be different or I want to implement something different is because uh, uh, we want to we want to progress we want to improve we want to evolve and uh, it the, the game is evolving itself, so if we don't follow the the, the involvement, then uh, we know teams are gonna catch up. We know teams are gonna uh, teams are gonna uh, match what uh, what we do. But uh, one other thing, and Ken, Kate mentioned it, it's not that we just wanna uh, we wanna uh, follow the trends. We wanna be trendsetters. We wanna be ahead of everyone. We wanna be the ones that are gonna set things and uh, and create things and be innovative, so everybody else tries to follow us. And we're now in the middle of a new cycle. It, the cycle has kind of been altered a little bit. The Olympics were supposed to be this year, now it'll be next year. But with each cycle comes those new challenges that you mentioned. And some of those are in the form of these other teams in the world. Which teams do you see as the ones most likely to be contenders in 2023 along with our women's national team? Do you see some of the regulars or do you see a team that's maybe not there yet, but by 2023 you expect them to be right at the top? There, there's several teams that uh, there. I mean, several teams. There's so, so many good teams around around the world, and uh, uh, 
Uh, obviously, we, we faced uh, three in the Shiba Leafs. They're all good teams in uh, Japan being one of the one, one of the younger ones, and they had a change of uh, generation. Spain is another one that is uh, interesting, that uh, definitely makes a big push uh, uh, to, towards the top, uh, top teams in the world. But uh, we cannot forget uh, Brazil, uh, Brazil. They're always going to be contenders. And then uh, Australia is a, is a young, energetic team that uh, that can be interesting in the in the next couple of years. Uh, we had a chance to play Sweden. Sweden is always uh, uh, organized, disciplined, and we know what happened in the, in the last Olympics. So there's so many uh, so many good things. Uh, Germany uh, went through a rebuild phase. I forgot about them. We were supposed to fa uh, face them in uh, in June, and that was going to be a great matchup. Actually, it was a matchup I was uh, excited about and looking forward to. And uh, there's there's about uh, ten teams that that are really good that uh, that will be uh, contenders. But uh, in same time, you know, we're gonna do uh, everything possible to make sure that uh, that we stay on top. So we are on top. How, how do you how do you possibly keep that edge and maintain it while other teams try to give you their best shot every single time? I mean, uh, first and foremost, this team is. Uh, uh, has a culture that I've never seen before in my in my life. Uh, when I walked to this environment, you, you're just poised with competitiveness, with mentality, with grit, with resilience, with hard work that uh, that you don't know anything else. So with that, along along with uh, what I was saying in the previous answer, when uh, working on those little things, on those details, that uh, small things that make big differences. Uh, we'll just keep on improving and keep getting better and keep staying on top. You mentioned the Olympics. We, we know that this year would have been the Olympics has obviously been postponed. How does that now change your strategy with regards to the veterans on the team as well as integrating those younger players into the mix? Yes, uh, I don't think it's going to change much. Uh, I don't think uh, it should change much in the the, the only difference is going to be I feel like I'm going to have a little bit more time uh, for uh, for preparation. Uh, I'm going to have another year to implement some of these uh, some of these little things or details that we're talking about. But uh, ultimately, the best players will play. And uh, Kate said it earlier. The, the, what we're focused on is the performance uh, on the field. Who is in the best uh, in the best stage uh, at, the, at the moment? And those are the ones that are going to play. So we want to shift to the youth national team for a second. You know, most of the most of them have been put on hiatus. We talked with uh, Kate earlier about that. During this pandemic, what have you done to maintain contact with those programs to not only implement the plans that you have for the philosophy of how the national team program should go, but just for some of those players who you're looking at to eventually move up in the national team? Yeah. So, so first, uh, we've done a lot, and in, uh, in in this last two months, and uh, the alignment of the of uh, the the system, the alignment of the national national teams from top to bottom, has been one of the biggest projects uh, that we entered into, and I'm very excited about it because uh, uh, we were able to create these workshops with the national team staff and uh, the the senior staff and the youth national team staff from uh, from different ages. And uh, we we've been focusing on the standardizing the style of play. So when you when you go and you watch a U15 national team, a women national team at least, uh, and you watch the senior team, 
you're going to see the same style. Obviously, the, the quality of the players, the quality of the, of the execution may be a little bit different, but the style will be the same. The DNA will be will be the same. The, uh, the it will be uh, you you can identify the the traits between the teams. We uh, uh, we also work uh, we also work on uh, standardizing the positional profiles. So what uh, uh, what they defender or a center back for a senior team looks like that's what uh, we're gonna we're gonna have in the in the, on the youth national team so we're gonna we, we can uh, create new becky sauerbrunn and we can create new alex morgan and uh, new megan rapino and julia it's uh, so that's uh, that's why we we started standardizing the the positional profiles and uh, we've also been integrating the the youth national team players and with the senior uh, senior national team players, uh, so there is one thing that we we did with this uh, position profile discussions is uh, I'm uh, I'm actually leading those uh, those tactical analysis and discussion. So we have um, certain certain positions, certain players like let's say uh, defensive midfielders. We have uh, Juliards, Andy Sullivan, uh, Morgan Bryan on the call, but in the same time we have the defensive midfielder from the U23, the defensive midfielder from the U20 and U17. So now in one uh, virtual meeting we have uh, eight to ten players, different ages, discussing the discussing the profile just to help integrating the the, the younger players with in in within the system and also help them understand what it takes to be a player on the on the best team in the world. A couple more questions for you. You know, fans are kind of wondering, you know, who the future of the team is. When we go to 2023 and even 2027, who in your mind are players that you see making that leap to being the best in the world? Not like, I mean, obviously our team's best in the world, but what players do you see making that step to kind of being the leader of the best? I mean, oh, uh, that, that's a tough question. It's hard to predict because there's so many quality players. You look at our midfield now, you know, with uh, Rose Lavelle and Julie Ertz and then Sam Lewis and Lindsey Horan. I mean, those are all young players. They're experienced, but young players. They all have the quality to make a difference. Crystal Dunn is experienced in the young players. And we can't forget Mallory Pugh and Tierna Davidson. I mean, 2023 is uh, is the year for them uh, if they keep on developing uh, the way they are. That You know, that, that's the year. And then uh, uh, we have Andy Sullivan. And uh, uh, I'm just thinking of, uh, of the uh, Sophie Smith. You know, th these are exciting young players that already have experience. They've already been, uh, uh, been playing games under pressure that uh, will be excited, uh, exciting to watch and play in the next uh, big tournaments. I know we're looking forward to the next four to eight years as we continue to try and defend uh, our throne every single time we take field. Coach, we have one final question for you to wrap up our time together. What would you and the players like to see from the fans? And what can we do now and going forward to continue to show the support that you guys need to get the job done on a night of the basis? Oh, so before going, uh, what I would like to see going forward, I want to say uh, I've only been on the on the job short period of time, uh, six months, ten games, and I have to say the experience that I've had in the last ten games have been absolutely incredible. It's uh, it, it's just different when when you're on the field and you you hear the chants and you hear the sound of the fans. 
I mean, I feel like I want to be, I want to play. That, that's how I feel. And then uh, obviously, when we win and we make the, when we make the, the, the victory lap, when we go around, it, it, it's just different feeling. I, I don't think I have words to, to describe that. And uh, I'm just thankful for that opportunity. And I want to thank you guys for uh, being there for us. But I would, uh, I would ask you to just please keep supporting us uh, with the same passion and uh, keep growing the game recruiting new fans and uh, keep demanding excellence uh, from our team. Okay. We want to, we want to be the best that we can be. Absolutely. And like I mentioned to Kate, as soon as we're able, we'll be back in the stands to support you. And even if we're not able, we'll probably figure out a way to do it. So uh, Vlato and Danofsky, I, I'd like to thank you as well for joining me today. We really appreciate you taking the time to answer questions from fans and I hope you stay safe up there in Chicago, whenever it's safe enough to, for us to venture back to stadium you know we'll be there so until then we we thank you and and uh, we we appreciate you coming on thank you thank you very much and i hope everyone uh, everyone listening and watching is uh, healthy and safe and just uh, stay safe and looking forward to to see you back on the on stadiums absolutely and for all you guys out there we would like to thank you for being valued members of the american outlaws as we continue to be united for progress, we're going to keep these interviews coming. We are trying to set updates with Brian McBride, uh, Will Wilson, the CEO, uh, the interim U.S. soccer president, Cindy Parlos-Cone. When we have these dates, we'll be sure to let you guys know we're looking forward to those conversations. Stay tuned for our social media. Uh, you guys will probably follow us at American Outlaws on Twitter and Instagram and the American Outlaws on Facebook. As we continue these conversations and we want to give you guys a chance to submit questions for our next interview. Until then, for Kate and for Blacko, uh, I'm Donald Wine with the American Outlaws. Thanks once again for joining us, and stay safe out there. We love you, and we will see you soon, guys.